All right, I think that's enough time. Hello and welcome to The Outliers, the podcast hosted by yours truly, uh, McLean Hirschfield, uh, the gremlin of Pennsylvania, and with me is the most devious bastard of New York City. It is me, Tyler, rocking uh, the Minecraft shirt that my mom got me back in 2015 that I was too embarrassed until right now when I have to do a gaming episode. So yeah, this is so actually I'm not the host of this episode, uh, or I am in the sense that this is the podcast <laughs> I created and had the idea for, and I just tagged along and stole all the credit. Yeah, I I think it's funny how quickly this podcast started. And I like I was thinking about the roots of this podcast earlier today, which was me and you at like running into each other during lunch in like either sophomore or freshman year, talking about how we should that, start yeah. a podcast, and then like two years later we actually did it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like now. our first version behind the, of a was a basically behind the bastards ripoff. No, we did it. We did different shit. But like when we talked about our very original idea, it was very close to being a behind the bastards. Yeah, but it was it's it was different enough. Yeah. But I like this one better. Yeah, we're a little I mean, bit more professional now. A little, uh, just, just a we have facial hair now. I think well, <laughs> we're old grizzled veterans. <laughs> yeah. Um, no anyway, longer the bright-eyed young men who initially Tyler, decided to do what we podcast. talked about today. We're talking about some gaming now, McLean. Um, are you a gamer? <laughs> no, I have a fucking life. Um, <laughs> touch grass. Uh, no, I do play a lot of video games. I play a lot of single-player games, uh, which I feel like is a rare thing to do these days. Um, yeah, I love I love me some single-player. I've games. actually been returning to Cyberpunk twenty seventy-seven. Um, I haven't been able to bring myself to do it. Also, like I've just been too busy. Um, I've been, I've been uh, also like, you know, when I do get to play video games, uh, I'm replaying uh, God 2018's God of War on uh, New Game Plus because Ragnarok's coming out very soon. Uh, and I'm also trying to finish Elden Ring because that game kicked me my ass too many times that I gave up, but I can't leave it unfinished. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I I never did either of those. I got a war. I just never really felt like it was my style. Um, and then Elden Ring, I feel like kind of also wasn't my style. I'm I'm too shit at video games for Elden Ring, but I I'm pushing through. I think I'm getting close to the end. Right. Uh, um. I just don't have a lot of time to play. So yes, we days. both play video games. We are gamers. Yeah. <laughs> I love that word, gamer. 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 <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we, so we, have, we, have, we don't like talk a lot about video games on the podcast, which is like outside kind of, of like shame. outside of vibe chat, really. Yeah, Just, outside like, of the vibe episodes, um, where it comes up because we both like to talk about it outside of the podcast, but <coughs> it doesn't really fit in as much uh with what we normally do. I think um, the most we talked about was when we were talking about how excited we were for the new Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that one Black Ops 2 mission with Noriega <laughs> in the Panama episode. Yeah. Uh, was that? I think that's the extent of our gaming uh, mentions. I, there's probably more, uh, but it, I'm not... Uh, I'm not going to go back and look into it. I don't care. That was... <laughs> Uh, but like gaming and gaming history is like kind of like a big part of uh, 
what I'm interested in. And this, it, it all kind of started when I was like, you know, 13, 14, probably 12, even on YouTube. And that was a, that was a big thing on YouTube back in the day, especially with channels like the angry video game nerd, which I was a huge fan of when I was younger. He's still pumping out good stuff. I think. Um, Did he leave channel awesome? I don't think he was part of Channel Awesome. No, he was. No, they were they collaborated, but Cinemaster sure. and Channel Awesome were, were two different things. I, for some reason, I always assumed he was. I guess because he was in all the fucking movies that we watched. Yeah, he he's he was more of a cameo kind of guy. That's uh, sad that we like ABGN such... and Nostalgia Critic were like uh, the their counterparts for like film. Oh no, movie. I'm thinking of Angry Joe. Angry Joe was part of Channel Awesome, I believe. Those, uh, sorry, the fact there's two guy video game nerds who have angry as they're it's easy to mix those two up. Okay, because like a big like thing with like early YouTube like criticism is just like, oh, this game shucks, and I'm yelling about it because it's funny. I'm gonna say a lot of swear words and yell at this old game that nobody cares about anymore because it's comedy. And you know what? It worked. It worked for me when I was a teenager. Well, there wasn't like a lot to do because most people were doing YouTube. And it was kind of magical thing about YouTube back then was that like it was such like a wild west that you were just like, yeah, I have a normal job and I also have like a way to record me playing a video game. So I'm just going to do that. Yeah. Um, What's his name uh, from Achievement Hunter? Michael. uh, He did the he did the angry playthroughs. He literally his first few episodes were just like a DSLR camera pointed at, at television. Yeah, that's how it used to be. Is it's it's not easy to capture footage, especially when you're talking about like old ass games. Yeah. Um. You know, they but... eventually figured it out. Uh. But I was I was I was a big uh ABGN fan back in the day, and that led me into uh <laughs> learning a lot more about like the NES days and the Super Nintendo days. But we're going a little bit earlier than that. Um. It's it's it's. It's kind of wild to think about uh, how far we've come with video games in the last 50 years. Like, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Magnavox Odyssey, which came out in 1972, which is literally just like a bunch of rectangles on a screen. And then like 50 years later in 2022, just like watch the trailer for God of War Ragnarok. And just like see like the difference that fifty years makes in this industry, it's absolutely insane. So like I'm gonna be focusing mostly on like the first generation and the second generation of like home consoles, and we are in, we are currently in the ninth generation, which sounds like a huge leap because it is, but also like we're not even like what what are we like eight set seven generations removed from that era era um that's crazy yeah like what wait what generation we are, we, we are in the ninth now from what the we, i'm talking about the first and second mostly uh man i don't know yeah so right now we're rocking with the ps5 and the xbox so series the first Xbox. nintendo was 1983 yeah, that was so almost forty years. Yeah, um, the 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 PS Five and the Xbox Series X or S, whatever one you have, is like those are the current mega consoles on the market. 
And then there's also the Switch that kind of came out in the middle of the last generation, like in 2017 on its own. It's like 8.5. In- yeah, I... I don't really know where to classify the switch. So, like in fight in fighter planes, they always have like classifications. So, like jet planes are like there's the first gen, which is like the stuff from the tail end of World War II. But like fourth gen is everything like basically that was that was like all the F-18s and stuff from Top Gun. And then there's fifth gen, which is like F-22s, F-35s, the super plane from Top Gun. Um, which is funny because that real life counterpart's a piece of shit. Um nice. But, like, they call all, the, like, the super upgraded versions of things, like, in between, like, the F-18 and, like, the, like when they shoved the kitchen sink in an F-18 at 4.5, mm-hmm. because it's kind of, like, using modern technology to carry it over. And I kind of think, like, the Switch is funny because it took elements from both the Wii and what the fuck was the thing? The Wii U. Mm-hmm. And then it made it, like... A bit better. I don't have a we uh attend a switch, but you're like one of five people who doesn't. The switch I, be I, going crazy. I'm not, a, I'm not a Nintendo guy. Like I, I feel like I, I say this every once in a while. People it's don't fine. get it. Uh but like so like this the switch, even though it's like over five years old at this point, is still selling like crazy. And it, it's still it came out in a really weird time frame, I know. So like uh, I, I, I lump it in with the last generation, but it's still going into this one very strongly. Um, but like the, the current model seems to be leading towards digital games and like now, cons- now we're seeing consoles that are completely like ditching discs, which is like such a weird thing to think about because I couldn't even imagine that being a thing a couple years ago. I mean, when was the last time you got a disc? Um, I, I got the disc for Elden Ring because I was at Walmart and noticed it it was lower than the regular retail price there. So I'm like, all right, cool, let me do that. But most of my games are completely digital. Like the PS5 has the digital version that doesn't even have a disc drive. Um, and I kind of miss the game store experience, honestly, because we're starting to like lose that a little bit. Like, you know, GameStop and stuff like still exists. But like I'm not going there nearly as often as I used to. I do and don't. Um I kinda like I miss like I do miss like browsing and finding like some weird games. Like I found some like weird like, one-off games. But like I'm also kind of just happy not to have like the physical clutter. Yeah. I kind of wish I had more space to like display and collect stuff, uh games like that. Cause it's like kind of cool. Uh but yeah, no, that that experience was like very important for me, and it's just weird how we're moving away from that. And that also that that kind of like starts around here, uh, in that second generation. But um, although we sometimes feel old, it's it's kind of like crazy to think about though. Like I I feel old all the time. I'm only 22, and it's it, we gotta acknowledge that we're still youngins. Uh, I am very lucky to have grown up with a PlayStation 2 where things like in, in video games, they actually look like what they're trying to represent. Uh, and we have cl- we have sound, we have 3D graphics, we have voice acting. Com- like, it's insane to like that we were able, we had that um, growing up. 
little me booted up Spider-Man 2, and I was able to swing around a relatively decent version of New York City. We had uh, some good combat. The contrast between that and the last Spider-Man game would be insane to... Yeah, that is that is it is crazy to think about uh, that. Like even even just within like what I think it was like fourteen. Those games are fourteen years apart. They're completely different. But like, I could clearly tell that's Spider Man. That's New York. I have a three D environment to play around. And when I wasn't on the PlayStation, I had a Game Boy Advance and a DS in my pocket. In which I could just like pull out a console and just play it on the go wherever the hell I am. And that was that was years ago. My parents' generation, however, I don't know, they had some rectangles on a, on an old ass CRT television. Critical race theory. I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, modern politics has broken my brain a little bit. <laughs> I cannot blame you. Um yes, yeah, no, I feel like yeah, I had a tube TV too when I was younger. I did, yeah, I did I did too. Um I had one that was kind of broken, so I was playing like once I got out of my in my room, I was playing uh I had a Wii. But I was playing Wii games in black and white, which is bizarre, even though they had full color and pretty good graphics. Yeah. Just like, not- you know, that reminds me of the days when you had like the the three, because everything is HDMI now. Yeah. We had those three oh, yeah, no, fucking like the, wires. Yeah. The, the, the red and the yellow and white one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, like, I don't, if I don't you, you could tell if one of them was knocked loose because the color would be all fucked up or if you, like yep. the wires were just in general. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, this was... is gonna be like ninety percent nostalgia trip. This episode. Yeah, no, because I love, I, lo- I love, uh, I love me some good old nostalgia. Again, we're twenty-two. Yeah, we're like that's 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 the point I'm getting at here. I'm like, I feel old all the time. Like, oh, look at these kids. Just I think it's fucking... the technology moves so fast these days. It, it's moving so fast that like every time I see something that's only like a couple years old, I'm like, geez, I'm getting old. But I'm like, I'm literally in my early twenties. I'm not that old. I it's but I mean I, to put that in perspective though keep in mind there was only 66 years between the the first flight and the moon landing yeah that's true uh we are going uh 60 years back though okay Go to 1962 all right well, there were, we we had <laughs> good things happening right nothing but good things Nothing nothing but good things happened in the 60s. It was a great time to be alive. Um there was electric games before. And there's stuff that like vaguely resembles what we knew at now as physical uh video games, but like for simplicity's sake, I'm just gonna start this uh with space war exclamation point. There's an exclamation point at the end of the name. Uh I'm not going to include that because it's a mouthful, uh, but it was developed by Steve Russell and MIT colleagues, J. Martin Greats, Wayne Weetanen, I think that's how you say it, and a couple other dudes on the Digital Equipment Corporation, or DEC, uh, PDP-1 mini computer. There's a, there is way too much nerd lingo 
going on here and I'm not going to get into it. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a computer guy. I don't really get a lot of it myself, to be honest. There's so much technical bullshit that goes into like when uh, describing how old these old stuff work and how it's developed. Yeah. And like, I don't even understand the t- technology that much currently. I'm not even going to bother trying to ex- understand the technology of 60 years ago. Um, but that PDP one was very innovative for us time and it allowed for some unique programming that was not possible before. And this is like where like a hacker community started, um, to form and it all, you got, you got, some, I know you got like some... early hacking was called freaking, right? Like, I don't know if you got that into it. Cause they'd literally have to use phone lines to hack. Interesting. I don't think it's that far into it. Okay. I'm, like, I'm, I'm only, f- I'm only interested in space get... war exclamation point. <laughs> space war. Okay. Got it. Um, it was developed in the summer of 61 after Russell read E.E. E. Smith's The Lensman series and developed, oh, and the game was programmed throughout the early months of 62. It was very popular in the programmer community at MIT and eventually spread to other universities as well. But like, it was, this game was like pretty much only existed in universities. Uh, there, you like, the the computer that it was programmed on was incredibly expensive and i think there was only like 53 ever like sold so like it was it was it was very rare but like anybody with the code and like permission from russell i think something like that was able to get the game uh so it it, it became very popular amongst like a very niche community of programmers and uh, well, I think one thing I found funny about this is I think I found the first instance of the first recorder instance of gamer rage while researching this game. What? Like, the fir- <laughs> yeah, okay, th- th- I'm interested now. Um, in the first issue of Decuscope or DECU, I don't know. It was the it was the first it was a newsletter for the digital equipment computer society computer user society. Uh, there's an article from DJ Edwards and Greats about space war. Here is how it starts. If, when walking down the halls of MIT, you should happen to hear strange cry, strange cries of "No, no, turn, fire!" Ah! Do not be alarmed. Another Western is not being filmed. MIT students and others are merely participating in a new um, sport, Space War, planned and programmed by Stephen R. Russell under the auspices of Hingham Institute's study group on space warfare. Space War is an exciting game for two players, many kibitzers, and a PDP-1. Our first ever gamer rage. If you look at that. Great. It's a beautiful thing. Little did they know how much that would evolve over the years. <laughs> How volatile that would quickly become. Game <laughs> rage. It's a scary so, thing. 
I so that's the so that's where it starts. This is where it starts. So it, it starts pretty much at MIT. So you'll probably talk about well, the thing I always assumed was the first video game, which was Pong. I always Pong? assumed that's where it started and ended. Pong does come. It's the Pong is like the fir- one of the first like commercially successful video games. Okay, it's not the first ever video game, uh, but it's the first game that made a shit ton of money that turned video games into like it's multi-million dollar industry um uh the game like space war itself is actually like you can play it if you want to on like your browser if you just like look it up on on google because like while i was preparing for this i found it and started playing it myself and like it's pretty fun honestly you just you got two little spaceships uh it's a multiple it's like a two-player game there's like a star in the middle with a gravitational orbit um that's pulling your two spaceships towards it but like you could move it around and like shoot at each other it's it's pretty like it's like honestly kind of fun because i was playing I, I was playing it on uh my keyboard um and I was player one and two because, you know, I'm a loner and it's easier to do it on a keyboard and you just like uh, have two hands like that. The game so like it's a, it's it's a pretty like surprisingly good game for the time. And it's like and I think it's a lot better than a lot of the games that came later. Like I'd rather play oh, Space like, War. Even looking at it, it looks way more complex than like some of the other games. Right. Um, it, it like playing it on your computer isn't the same as playing it on, on the original hardware. Of course, like that's 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 probably like a very like specific experience. And there's gotta like, there's gotta be like an ex like a museum that has it on yes, that setup like that. I would totally that I would really want to try it specifically on that original hardware. Yeah, I, I would be interested in it too because that's like such an interesting piece of gaming history. Um, like it, it's it's not like like the first ever game uh game i think it's like the first like real like digital video game on a mini computer which is pretty damn cool and mm-hmm. it, it, it like again it's not like there's no way to like monetize it really so it was, it was i think it was like part of the public domain like anybody mm-hmm. could play it pretty much um but the game made its way to utah the to the university of utah and once one student who managed to get his hands on it would eventually lead to the creation and major boom of the industry. And his name was Nolan Bushnell. Bushnell worked at Lagoon Amusement Park in Utah, part-time while in college for electrical engineering, where he developed an interest in coin-operated electromechanical games at the arcade. So yeah, this is this is like another thing where like they did have like electronic games, and a lot of them like appeared in arcades. Um they weren't exactly like digital video games per se, but like there were a lot of like arcades were a thing. You had electronic like controlled games and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of the same thing. You pop in a coin and you get to play, but like uh, we didn't have like video games yet. But after uh, after graduating from the university, Bushnell got a job at the electronics company Ampex, where he would meet his friend and future collaborator, collaborator Ted Dabney. Uh, 
Dabney and Bushnell formed Suzuki Engineer. Suzuki, I think I've I never heard it. It's like a, such a weird spelling. I never heard it pronounced out loud. Uh, and they de- developed computer space in 1971, <clears throat> which it's essentially a clone of Space War. Uh, it's pretty much the same game, but this one was coin operated. And it was, it was like, this is the first time Space War is like commercially available. Like general people would not know anything about that game. But um, now for the first time, they get to get their hands on it. And it did not do very well. Um, they partnered with, I'm not making the name up, Nutting Associates. <laughs> I am a child. <laughs> they are Nutting Associates. <sighs> For the, That's unfortunate. It's it. They, it's, not their fault no, that the uh the that, 21st century would be as perverted as it is. You know. Or as some call it fun. They they they're just associates that nut together, I guess. <laughs> um but they they collaborated with nutting associates to uh, do the manufacturing for the units and got the them into bars. Uh but computer space didn't really make so much money because it was kind of complex. Um, Bushnell said, "To be successful, I had to co- um, had to come up with a game people already knew how to play. Something so simple that any drunk at any bar could play. So, like, if you're fucked up at a bar and you're gonna have to like read directions for a game and try to figure it out, figure it out." You're not going to want to spend your quarters on that. Uh, and that was the case with con- computer space. Like, sh- sure, like, there were people that played it, but, like, it was, it, it really just, like, went, like, unrecognized for a while. Uh, but after uh, realizing the name Suzuki, I, I want to I'm just going to say Suzuki was already taken. Uh, Bushnell and Dabney fa- found Atari. In 1970. Oh, okay, now I know who this is. Like, I, I'm not from. I've not been familiar with who we are talking about until you said the name Atari. Suzuki uh, became Atari later on in '72. Uh, the name, the name came from a term in the board game Go. Um, I've never played Go. Go. Essentially, I like, from what I can tell, like the equivalent. It's in the game. The like Atari is like the equivalent to a check in chess. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. I don't know. I've never played Go. I don't know the rules, but that's where the name came from. Um, But I'm going to take a little detour from the Atari gang and go to the television scene. In the 60s, televisions were booming and more households were getting te- TVs by the day. And the idea for uh, giving the owner of a television uh control of what's on screen came as early as 1951 with the Ralph Bear who was I think he was a Jewish uh, German who escaped Germany before World War II Um, and he was an engineer for um, what was that company called 
Laurel. And he he uh that that was his original idea, but like back then, uh the that didn't really get off the ground. So he kind of like slept on it for a while. And Mr. Bear eventually got got to work on the idea in 1966 when he was an engineer at Sanders Associates. Uh Bear and a group of engineers there came up with several uh, prototype consoles until the seventh, known as the Brown Box, was purchased by the television company Magnavox in 1971. And in 72, they released the console as the Magnavox Odyssey, becoming the first ever video game console, kicking off the first generation. The Magnavox is a very interesting little machine. Um, again, it is the first video game console, but the way that it works is interesting because um, it relies on like on-screen overlays. So they'd give you like the the box would come with plastic like overlays that you'd stick onto your TV with the with the static electricity, and essentially all, all a lot of these games like rely on your imagination um and it has cards to them which are kind of similar to game cartridges and i in in originally in my notes i'm like whoa this is the first ever console to have cartridges too and that's not exactly how it works essentially the odyssey has different programming modes um that it works with and um, each card essentially tells the console which mode to display on the screen. So the games itself themselves are built into the console, not onto the cartridges, if that makes sense. Yeah. Am I just spewing nerd bullshit? Is that- I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of, it is a little bit going in one ear, going out the other, but it makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, like, you know, it's fu- it's funny you think because like we're also part of an entertainment industry, being movies, that this would translate over easy. But I forget how much uh, video games is software. It's it's all engineering and fucking programming and stuff like that. And fucking like smart people shit. Yeah. <laughs> this this was a hard episode to come up with because I had to navigate my way around that without having any idea what most of it meant. So I was like, how do I dumb this down enough that one, I could read it properly and still know what I'm talking about? And two, like, so you would be listening to it and not be bored as shit. Yeah. Um, so uh, McLean actually understands what the fuck is happening. Yes. And you, the listener at home, maybe you know better than I. Just they maybe- are of our toy. I know like our half of at least half of our toy listeners will understand this way better than us. Yeah, honestly, probably. Um, but like, um, it, there's it, it, like, you cannot play these games for the most part without a manual because the manuals like have all the rule sets on them. There's like, there's a ton of different games and game modes, but essentially they're all relying on the same like fucking like rectangle technology on the screen, but like you control it in different ways. So, uh, for instance, Card one had the table tennis game, which is Pong before Pong. Um, it's kind of it's it's a bit wonkier than than Pong, but like um, you'd put like the tennis 
court overlay on the screen so it looks like you're playing tennis even though you're not playing tennis <laughs> and you'd have one rectangle bounce the ball to the other rectangle and the other rectangle bounces the ball back and forth uh you have card two where you put that card in uh the console and like now you're playing skiing so you have the one rectangle and you put the overlay on the screen and there's like three different like skiing trails and you have to get the rectangle to follow the trail without like hitting any obstacles and i think it's like a time trial game but like because there's no like hard rule sets you can kind of just play however the fuck you want really like you it kind of they kind of like have like suggested ways to play um with those manuals but there's a couple more games that required more rules. Like there was a haunted house game, which I, I'm pretty sure would be considered like the first ever horror game. Uh, there's Simon Says, which, uh, you have you put the overlay on the screen, and like there's two children, and uh, it comes with cards. So like uh, Simon Says, hand or something. Or something like that, and you you gotta like move the rec you rectangle to like the kid's hand. Uh, so these these are incredibly basic, and like it's kind of hard to consider them video games because most of the action wasn't even happening with the actual game. There it was happening like with the accessories attached to the game, but nonetheless, it's still it's still console number one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's weird to think that these were the first game. And, like, it's so funny that, like, I can, the word, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I can imagine playing this, and I couldn't imagine, like, sitting down and playing Pong for nearly the same amount of time. I do something like play, I don't know, Call of Duty. Right. Because like, like I, we're so we're so spoiled by modern games. <laughs> yeah, um, like I, if I look at some games I have played very little of, they're still in the realm of like forty-seven hours. Yeah. Uh we we like I like I can't imagine like spending my day just like staring at a rectangle on a black screen it's just like holy shit this is so much fun <laughs> yeah i mean it, it was probably fun life. but yeah well like that's all you had really <laughs> and like at the time you can't like you would never be able to imagine like a fraction of what the of the amount of games that we have now um especially like when it comes to bringing them at home because like once what's like the arcade video game st scene starts kicking off the home console uh industry is still like falling behind because like they have more technical li limitations but like coming home and being able to play uh i don't know haunted house might have been fun I, I, but i'll never have that experience I am spoiled. Yeah. I imagine it was one of those things that was probably a lot more fun with friends too. Oh yeah. So all of these were designed mostly for, to be two player games. And that's how a lot of early games are. Yeah. So um, 
in comparison, like where is something like Pac-Man in comparison to this? Uh, that that comes like a decade later. Re- okay, because for some reason I imagine Pong and arcade games must have been really close, but it's yeah, I guess that makes sense. Pong was the first like big like arcade game. Uh, Pac-Man came out in 1980. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we are in 72 right now. Yeah. Again, nothing but good stuff happened in, in 1972. Oh, it was a great time to be alive. I I love 1972. I, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. My favorite time of my life. <laughs> um, But also in 1972, um, Atari hired Al Alcorn. And Bushnell essentially gave him, like, a training assignment. It's like, hey, I played this Magnavox Odyssey. I got to I got to see this Magnavox game. And there's a table tennis game on that. That's pretty cool. Uh, try to make a version of this game as, like, a tra- training exercise. Um, so he does it. And this game, this training exercise would eventually be known as Pong. And Pong is revolutionary because guess what? Pong has sound. <laughs> Unbelievable. It has sound. You can keep the, the computer keeps score. Um, the ball like ramps up in speed as it gains momentum as you're bouncing it back and forth. Insane. <laughs> Was there a, a tennis court screen overlay? That's that's no. the part I really care. Ah, no, you lost my interest. Yeah, because <laughs> pong was played in arcades at first. Um, not an arcade. It started off. Uh, the first ever like pong ar- uh unit was um installed at Andy Capps ta- Tavern in Sunnyvale, California. Um, which. It it was a massive money making machine. Everybody wanted a piece of pong because it's so simple. Like you don't need to know the rules to be able to just start playing pong. Because like you're well, there uh, with your homies, it's a competitive game, one v one in pong, bro. <laughs> so I have a question. The first pong table I'm thinking about, it's like this big table looking thing where you look down at it. Is that like what we're talking about at this point? No, it's okay. I mean, it's, it's 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 more like a classic like arcade unit. Um, it's 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 kind of tall. It's upright. Okay. Uh, you have two little knobs to control. I, I like. am like looking picture. Yeah, I see. And when you say knobs, they're not joysticks. They are literally like that. Would have been so frustrating. Yeah. So, so like you control each paddle on each side. It's like a two player thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sh- I'm sure like. Pong games got very competitive at bars, especially with a little bit of alcohol. Um, it's, and of course, with the with the coin slot mechanism, them bitches be pumping out money. Because like, what's cool about Pong is like, it's very simple to like pick up and play. Like I I can I can hop on a game of Pong, but like, it takes a lot of time to be like good at Pong. Like there mm-hmm. is skill involved. I'm just thinking about the fact, and know for a fact, if me and you were college students in 1972, Dude. we would probably be good at pong, and it would be a little sad. 
I would I would probably like I would spend an ungodly amount of money on punk. I feel like <laughs> just, just like ah, we're get, we spent fifty bucks at the bar this week and ah, you guys partied up. No, we were playing pong. Playing pong. <laughs> and like fifteen bucks in nineteen seventy two is very different to fifteen bucks now. Yeah, it's like guys, that's that's unhealthy. a shit ton of money. <laughs> No, sorry, we spent four dollars. Wow, wow, you guys were really partying up, weren't you? Not we played a lot of pog. Yeah, dude. Cause like it's like no no no. This time, this time I got you. Put in another quarter. Let's go. Um exactly. Just like yeah. Oh god, that is what the 1972 version of McLean and Tyler would be doing, right? Yeah. And that and hosting our like pirate radio show. Yeah. And probably a lot of weed. It hey, we're dying in Vietnam. Yeah, I, I'm. I like. I don't. I don't I'm, think uh, film students got to avoid the draft. No. Are you guys in a poor but, American field uh, where we study film? I'm sure film students were still doing a lot of drugs, which I don't. But I'm sure in the '70s, I yeah. probably would have. Yeah, I mean, if you Google movies that came out in 1973, <laughs> that that's gonna be uh, it a, checks a, out. Yeah, <laughs> um, everyone was doing weed and alcohol and having a grand old time back in the day. Um, but like, it, Pong was ex- so successful. Um, they there were times where like they would call in like uh, bars uh, report their machines as malfunctioning. And then they'd go and check the machines and they'd find that the machine was working fine. The problem was that the coin collection part was overflowing with quarters. So, so this thing was making bank. It was making bank. Um, so after their deals with nutting broke to broke through, uh, Bushnell and Dabney like started producing Pong on their own. But they needed a lot of money to be doing that. They really, there's so much demand, and they were struggling. Um, they were struggling to keep up with that. Uh, they were. They also were hit with a lawsuit from Magnavox on infringements because table, their table tennis game and pong were like almost exactly the same. Um, but. Instead of like taking it to court, they decided to settle that out of court for um, a sh- a lot of money. And essentially, like we th- they 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 agreed to like have license over um, the patents for the game, which I don't know if that's exactly the best way to describe it. But essentially, they were allowed to keep making pong uh, for. An out of court settlement, but Pong Pong be pumping out money, but Pong can't be the only thing that people are playing because, like, no. it's great, it's simple, it's fun. I still play. I, I like. I do actually play Pong every now and then. Um, I have it on my Apple Watch. Which imagine telling somebody in 1972 that they'd play pong, they'd be able to play pong. On Dude, that must be one big watch. It's not. 
it's an exciting little watch. I, I have I don't have it. I forget, but, like, but there's something crazy like the like like the computing capabilities of the first rocket to put a man on the moon versus an iPhone is like something crazy, like one eightieth of yeah. like an iPhone computing capabilities. Dude, it's it's wild. The amount of like storage required for like a kilobyte back then versus now. Holy shit. And like this isn't even that long ago. So like Atari still still be making games mm-hmm. for the arcades. Like in 74, they released Tank. Uh at this point, Pong and Atari is international. They got them bitches in different countries. And but they this they still be having money issues. Uh but uh eventually atari is purchased by warner communications ray kazar comes into the fray who became uh the ceo and nolan was replaced and this is kind of like the beginning of the end because ray kazar doesn't have a great reputation with it's with Atari, even though he's he like oversaw like the most successful part of Atari's tenure. Uh, but he also oversaw the downfall of it. And we're not quite there yet. Uh, but like bef- before Kazar comes into the fray and like in, in Warner Brothers, like or Warner Communications, uh. Working at Atari was lit as hell. <laughs> that is like a total like party culture. Everyone's just having a good time. Like you have like very lax uh, codes, smoking weed, drinking booze, creating games, getting real creative. It's a grand old time. I wish I could have worked at Atari back in the day. I can't, I'm kidding. Yeah. So, I, I, am, I am not, I'm not smart enough for no. that. No, we're, we're, there's a reason we're both in film. <laughs> yeah. Cause like these guys are geniuses. Uh, very, like they're computer nerds, but they're very like creative too. And they're just having a good time and they're, they're, they're out there making games. So, but like along this same time, uh, there were other companies out there in the fray, and they're 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 making like clones of Pong, because like oh shit, Pong's making a lot of money. Let's get in on that. So they'd make their own version of Pong, call it something slightly different. Um, eventually, uh. They'd start, they'd start taking Pong to uh, the home screens. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, there's, it was a big thing in arcades. Um, but there's, like, uh, the TV Electro Tennis that pops up in 75. Um, the Atari starts making their own home Pong consoles. Uh, so... 
instead of having to go to an arcade, I can play Pong at home on my TV, which is crazy. There's Coleco and their Telestar, which, you know, this one's a little bit different. Um, they had some more unique games going on. Uh, this, this is where Nintendo starts making electronic games over here. I think their first one was in 77. Um, but a lot of them also like um, these early consoles used light gun technology, which is kind of cool. Like, look, I look up uh, the Magnavox Odyssey light gun because it looks like the a Odyssey real... light gun. <laughs> it looks like a real gun. Oh my god! <laughs> it's it, literally like it, it looks like a gun that like I've used in real life. <laughs> it looks like an actual gun. <laughs> Like I'm um, just gonna put a picture in the Discord to make sure this is right. Yeah, I'm not looking at like a modified thing, but this looks like it looks like a gun I've used, like a real gun I I personally have used. <laughs> yes, that's it. Oh my god, yeah. Um, actually, to me, it looks like they took a 22 Henry lever action and just hollowed it out and put lever action uh, electronics <laughs> in it. That's real. What it looks like to me. Oh my. <laughs> There's no like like there's uh they could not get away with this today. <laughs> yeah, but no, clearly it, it's a uh, different times. No no orange tip or anything. It's literally just like an exact replica of like an actual gun. But you you can point it at the at the TV um and like there'd be like infrared sensors and uh you can play games like that which is also pretty cool uh but the set the first generation is pretty much just that um there's not much going on it like the industry was there but it didn't sell like crazy this is this is a this is the baby well, like, and compared to this to, like, even the Nintendo Zapper, it's, <laughs> there's a lot more going on here. <laughs> it's actually insane. It's, it's literally a gun. gun. <laughs> it reminds me of a joke someone had. It's like, okay, p- bad Pokemon idea pitch is just a gun. Just a gun. I mean, there's, you know, there's, 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 a, there are Pokemon that are, like, kind of gun-like, but no. I know there's one that's, like, literally just a knife. There's like there's there's um there's a sword Pokemon there's the shield and then like Remoraid is kind of like a gun and then there's Artillery which is supposed to be like they tank, they started running but it's an out octopus. they started running out of ideas at a certain point there didn't they uh, they ran out of ideas from the beginning and I'm tired of people saying that oh the new generation Pokemon aren't as good as the original because the original were kind of whack too and if you don't agree with me you're wrong (laughs) but I digress Atari wasn't actually the first one to get in on the second generation Um, that, that actually goes to Fairchild with their video entertainment system which was released in 76 um this is the first console to have dedicated rom based cartridges 
So the difference between this and the mag, like what the Magnavox had with the cards, is the games themselves were on the cartridges. Um, the cards on the Magnavox, you'd put them in, and it would tell you what game that's pretty pre-installed onto the console to play. This time, the Fairchild mm-hmm. um, was able to play like dedicated games on these consoles, which allow which allowed them pro- um, to produce more advanced games, but also allowed for more variety in the amount of games and like what kind of games that they could play. Uh, but they 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 beat. They beat Atari to the punch on this uh, technology, but it didn't really catch on. One because like the price point was pretty high. Uh, they didn't have like the same uh, brand recognition. Um, you know, it it was. And and then a year later, the twenty like Atari drops the VCS, uh, which was the like the, the Atari VCS and the twenty six hundred are the same thing. Um, Fairchild had some like manufacturing issues, but like while while Fairchild released their their console, Atari was working on uh, the twenty six hundred in the background. Fairchild had to change the name of their console after the to- after Atari came out because Atari dropped the VES, the Video Entertainment System, as opposed to Fairchild VCS, the Video Computer System. So instead of like trying to compete with Atari on that end, they're just like, fuck it. We're just going to be called the Channel F now. And Channel F stands for Channel Fun. Isn't that wholesome? Nice, yeah. Now I feel like you're gonna tell me something. Oh no, this podcast is like okay. You told me something wholesome. What's the ta- where? Where's the switcheroo gonna happen here? Oh, there's not. It, it, the switcheroo doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm just the 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 Fairchild F technically beat Atari to the punch on this generation of consoles and this kind of technology, but Atari did it better and sold so much more. So what? They dropped this the um I'm just gonna call it the 2600 because it wasn't it wasn't called until the 2600 until later, but that's what we all know and love the Atari for now. So um they dropped the 2600 in 77. And this thing sells like fucking crazy. It sold more than everything combined, pretty much. Um I think it sold over what like 30 million units. And not only was it selling a lot of units, more people were making games for the uh for the Atari 2600. Um so on top of making game uh making making money off of the consoles, they're making a shit ton of money off of selling games to play on the console, which is like, you know, fucking duh these days. Like of course um you did make money from selling the games but back then like selling selling the games separately wasn't really like a thing yet you'd buy the console and i'm just like fuck this is all i got but now we're in different territory 
there's there's some other consoles coming out like there's there's um the Intellivision, ColecoVision, and uh, Magnavox Odyssey came out came out with a uh, the Odyssey two. But with the price points of the Atari and the popularity, fucking Atari sold like crazy. Everybody wanted one. You get Atari. You get Atari. You get Atari. So that that's that is the console that defined generation two um what's what's also interesting about atari is um this is also the first time uh where other like uh third-party developers start developing uh games for this console um so this is also where Activision is formed from Atari. And we all know Activision, the company that we know and hate today. My favorite video game publisher. Oh, God. Activision. Yeah. Like, the amount of stories that came out about, A, the fucking existence of a Bill Cosby room. <laughs> the Bill Cosby that, I mean, wasn't that like Blizzard before that? And there was like some dude who'd like murder. crawl around and look at people's exposed feet. Yeah. Just like, I, there's something to be said about like, I think someone described it. There was like a frat boy nerd culture. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really do believe that when it comes to Activision. <laughs> but like, I, I mean, again, it is like it seems like gaming tends to have these problems more than film, but film has totally had these problems. I mean, we had an, an example, Harvey Wine, yeah, exactly, and Bill Cosby, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, it's I'm, I think it's the you know things getting exposed. It always feels like film, like video games, is a step behind film, but both are in desperate need of improv- improving. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of that stuff, like a lot of that stuff, came from the Blizzard side yeah but activision well, is is yeah i forget not that, like, innocent I, I think of them as one because yes. you know the whole merger because of the merger um but like um activision comes around at this time as like as a bunch of former atari programmers that were like kind of miffed at like their shitty like pay and working conditions so they make their own little company and they start pumping out games for the 2600. And a lot of the Activision games um, were some of the best-selling games on the console. And some of the best games, like on, like the games on the, on the Atari 2600 are still very... I mean, some of them are ass. No, Nobody's going to argue with that. Like, some of these games are ass, but a lot of them are still very playable and fun today. Um, and Activision was actually responsible for a lot of the best of them. And what's also happening at this time is like the arcade uh, game scene is blowing up, and we're getting more ports of arcade games to the game consoles. And usually, like the the big one was uh, Space Invaders, which came out for Atari's. Um, 2600 and that sold like fucking crazy 
everybody wanted a piece of Space Invaders uh, on Atari. Space Invaders is fun, though. Like, I, I get love that. Space Invaders. Um, especially when you have to get that fast little fucker. I've never got it in my life. Dude, I, I'm not I'm not good at Space Invaders. It takes like a lot of these games like actually take skill. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of the appeal too. Cause like, especially when you don't really have any other games to play, and like uh you have the time to like sit there and like play this game over and over and over again and like build your skill and get good at it. And like I I I can see the appeal. It's it's addicting but like well, at this time atari is by far the hey, best quick sidebar do you think we might need to make this a part a two-parter uh an oh, hour has gone by part. yeah no because okay um i'm about to, we we are about to get to the downfall of atari <laughs> okay okay um so like Atari right now is on the top of the world. What could possibly go wrong? Listen, I know plenty as far as I understand, empires never fall. Rome, the first Russian Empire, Britain, um, America. Atari. <laughs> yeah, they're all empires that are still around today. Um how because because but like it is so popular and the these the, these ports of the arcade games were coming out and like space invaders was cool but then they have pac-man which mm-hmm. comes out on atari and sells like crazy like i th- i'm pretty sure that is the biggest selling atari game was pac-man but the thing is the atari port of pac-man was ass how do you fuck up a Pac-Man? God only knows, but Atari found a way to do it. It's okay. It's... So, but like, <laughs> I I think I'm aware of the thing that like really fucked them over. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Atari like makes a lot of really bad business decisions around this time and like yeah there are other consoles going around but like at they're still like the video game industry and like pretty much like video games and atari are synonymous with each other like like oh i'm going to my friend's house to play atari i'm not saying like i'm not pl- going to like oh i'm pl- going to my friend's house to play video games like oh i'm gonna play atari um but they, they're making a lot of really bad business decisions a lot of the games coming out are just ass like pac-man um most notably uh one of the games that comes out and the game that this disaster is pinned on is et um which it was licensed that they spent a lot of money to license the game steven spielberg himself was involved with it um he actually got to play et before it came out and he liked it um but et is like the one that they got to pin the blame on for this disaster. Uh, but the game is not good. Like a lot of the games coming around out here. And uh, Atari vastly overestimates how much shit they need to produce versus how much they're actually selling. And, oh, okay. And 
along the same time as they're like overproducing stuff and the market is getting stupidly oversaturated, people are also returning games because they like bring them home. Games are not cheap still. Um, they bring them home and they plug it into their console and the game's dookie. So like people aren't really willing to put up with like low quality games anymore. They're overproducing consoles and games. And the market for video games kind of just like completely shits itself. Um, this is uh, known as the game crash or the video game crash of 1983. And this like almost like ends the video game industry as we know it. It was bad. <laughs> I mean, that there happens was... to new industries all the time, but I could imagine, like, video games just not existing. Yeah, like, like, can you imagine a world where this pretty much, like, video video games could have easily just, like, been a, been a fad of the late 70s and early 80s. We'd probably be more productive. Honestly, the society would be a better place without gamers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe take me to the timeline where the crash actually ended. <laughs> we just go there. It's a barren wasteland. Oh wait, never mind. Oh no no no. Go, take take me back. <laughs> I like games. Yeah. Uh but et the reason why et is blamed. Uh because that that was one of the games, one of the last games that came out around here. Um. So many of them were returned. Um, they, the game wasn't good, but it's only not good because the guy that they de- hired to develop the game, Howard Scott Warshaw, only had five weeks to work on the game. Oh my god, that is some serious. Like Because they wanted the game to come out for the 1982 holiday season. Um, so like, hey, Howard, can you make this game in five weeks? We got to so, push this out for the holidays. So wait, you're telling me they rushed the game far beyond when it was ready so they could meet a release date at demanding time of purchase? It sounds I can familiar, never believe. It? Yeah, I can ne- never. The video game industry never learns. But no, like um, five weeks to make a whole last game is not an easy task. And honestly, given the time frame, the game itself is not that bad. It just gets a lot of the slack. Um, but like they produce so many of these fucking carts and n- not that many people bought them and a lot of them ended up being returned. Uh, this is where the most interesting part about this comes up is what Atari ended up doing. And this was an urban legend for decades. Um, they this, take... The- this is where I'm just going to say real quick. This is like where I know this story from is like, this is the big thing. I think everybody knows about the ET game. Yeah. And this, they take a, a shit ton of unsold merchandise. And like the, the urban legend was it was ET. It was Pac-Man and ET. And they just buried all of those cartridges in the desert. But no, um, essentially Atari buries all this like millions of dollars worth of uh, merchandise in the Alamogordo desert in New Mexico and like fucking seals it up with concrete. Um, and just like, 
we're just gonna we have so much merchandise and we literally can't do anything with it it's taking up so much space we are not selling any of it let's get rid of it they bury it in the fucking desert um and when they they eventually excavated the site in 2014 and there's a documentary on it um it's called uh uh, atari game over really interesting i highly recommend um it 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 uh details the rise and fall of Atari and the excavation of the site, and you get to see like all the merchandise that uh forty years later coming out of the dirt for the first time. It's super cool, and they find like a bunch of of old consoles. Like it wasn't just ET and Pac Man. They have tons of games down there, Con- consoles and everything. And I can't like the the idea that the industry got so fucking bad that they had to bury all of those, those cartridges out in the middle of the desert. It's so like, wild. Part of me finds this unbelievable. Also, part of me finds this like believable because we've seen quite a few companies go under in our time. All right, of course. Like I don't think nearly that bad, but like I mean, we're watching HBO do its best to try to destroy itself. <laughs> Warner Brothers is like. <laughs> doing like a destroy your reputation speed run <laughs> um <laughs> cancel all the shows I, everyone like, likes i really wish i was old enough back in 2014 to go to new mexico because i would have loved to be there for this yeah that it was like a, a bit like this i wish we had a podcast that because it would have been fun to do a live podcast from oh a my table god like log. I was I was like a wee little 14 year old and and like I remember this happening because like I was super into it like the idea at the time yeah like I was into the history I'm like I remember it happening I'm like wow this is so fucking cool but what am I 14 year old Tyler gonna do to get to New Mexico to go visit this <laughs> it's not happening yeah. but I wish I wish I could have I honestly really want one of those cartridges but like that's not happening dude those things probably sell gangbusters <laughs> oh yeah um I think the property of of uh, New Mexico, though. Oh, that's I mean, still, but yeah, yeah, that's that's either way. That's interesting to think about. Just like, but I think the thing that when you say that, like, this is the ultimate, this is the end game for this, is just the. I'm trying to formulate the word for this, but it's just like amazing to think that this is where they all end. It is like with in 2014, a bunch of people digging up. Yeah, this it's it's, it's a really cool thing so did um, atari go completely under or no okay uh atari still exists okay that's the thing i wasn't completely sure of yeah and 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 they did make more consoles after this um so like there was the 5200 and the jaguar and the Lynx and whatever um but like none of them were nearly as successful um they 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 came out with like a mini mini computer last year actually hmm. um just pretty cool that... like it's it's not that interesting but like atari still exists yeah they were they're... just never like the fucking like mega company they were back then back in the day and because of atari's complete and total downfall fall that's where the japanese video game market is able to pick up the slack here here comes uh nintendo. here comes my fucking baby nintendo <laughs> nintendo comes around with the famicom in japan which is released 
out here in North America as the Nintendo Entertainment System with Mutt, and the rest is history. Yeah. That that is a topic that we might come back to another time, but it looks like we're running short on time for today. But I mean, like I said, we could we could push a little over, not that much over, but no, yeah, I, I, I'm, we, key, I'm th- th- this is pushing into the next so generation. We don't need to get to Atari to me is the story of this. They were the first to do this and then they crumbled, but they're still around. But yeah. they sounds like they really just really hit got hit by those challenge. I'm really interested eventually when we come around again to doing this topic, how to see like Nintendo and like Sony and like all these up. Like I'm curious more to find out how like these companies that weren't initially video game companies got there. Yeah, like N- Nintendo's been around since like the 1880s. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, like Nintendo has an incredibly long history before it got into video games. Um, okay, I was expecting you to say 1980s, but oh my no, god, no, no. Uh, they first got into uh, like video games like in the 70s. Um, but like the Famicom or in the in the in North America and I think in outside of North America too, I think it's only the Famicom in Japan. Uh, the, the NES, like, fucking like turned them into a video game company like yeah this is the thing we are known for um it it outsells atari they're putting out like actually good games with more advanced hardware it's awesome okay instead of i'm going to go to my friend's house to play atari i'm going to my friend's house to play nintendo it's me mario motherfucker it's a um, me mario super mario bros greatest game of all time i've never played a single mario game i like well i think i played is like that a why you're depressed? <laughs> probably 